Rock Harbor. Good to see all of you this morning. It has been an absolute run to the end of this school year for our kids. And I sit here this morning just a bit exhausted, a little tired. I'm still, I still wake up numb just a little bit. <laughs> you know when you're really tired and you wake up, you get some sleep, but you don't feel like you actually slept? That's kind of how it feels. It feels like I'm still kind of wound uh, a bit tight. Pastor, you going to say something? Yeah, I just got a text from uh, Rabbit Church of God, Brother Gibson, that it's made a flight again. Oh, goodness. It's a really bad shape, so I just have Yeah, if you, yeah, absolutely. Father God, we just come to you this morning, Father God, on behalf of our, our brother, uh, Lynn Gibson, Father God, uh, also as a, as a pastor. Father Lord, I ask you to touch him, touch his body, Father God. We don't know the severity of the situation, but Father, you know, Lord, I just ask you to touch this situation. Lord, touch the, the, the vehicle that he's in, Lord. We just pray uh, uh, that angels would surround him, that angels would be with him, Lord, and, and ever-present. Father, I pray your anointing would cover him, Lord. We pray for just a, a healing on whatever this situation is, Father, for recovery, Lord, and restoration, Father. We take authority over the enemy and anything that he might be trying to do to intercept this, Father. We bind the enemy and we bind the works of the enemy, Father. We speak life and not death, Father. We ask you to touch this situation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 It is our job and our responsibility to go to bat for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. It is. So, that said, let us begin this morning. Find my, my spot. Here we go. I had to use Misty's book because I got a habit of misplacing mine. And she'll tell you, she's got to kind of watch over me and tell me uh, tell me where my stuff's at. She always says, you know, in the morning, I'm like, hey, you see my book? She's like, why am I the one keeping up with your book? So today, I'm using hers because I lived up to the hype and lost it. <laughs> so page uh, 51 in our study guides, more responsibility demanded. When, the, when, I, when I was reading and studying the lesson, the fact that it even used the word moral, I knew it was going to be good. Just, just you said moral. You already set it off on the right, the right foot. Here we go. We're going to talk about uh, morals and the responsibility that we have to them. Uh, Central truth is that followers of Jesus Christ are responsible to walk in holiness. Man, that's that's another word right there. That's a tough one. That uh, also is a like a horn going off. Uh, holiness, holiness. Uh, and then I, then you put the two together, moral holiness. And then that just takes it to another level, and then we can have a, like a discussion for like the entire um, time that we have this morning and not even really get into the lesson and, and really uh, pull a lot of information from that. So anyway, under Let's Get Started, it says some people are quick to shift the blame to someone else when something goes wrong. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> uh, the, I wouldn't ask you, though. I'm not going to take a poll on who does that in here. But I think we're all guilty of doing it at one time or another because it's, it's weird because we're a bit hardwired. Isn't that odd? You gotta catch it. It's like you shift it and you'll push it on someone else and you don't even realize you're doing it. And then it like comes to you. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit or maybe just the logic of the situation. You're like, oh, yeah, that was, that was my fault, sorry. And it's funny, you know, how that happens because we're like, a moment, I'm talking like immediately. Your inclination is not to blame yourself. You're not inclined to blame yourself. It isn't like you blame yourself most of the time. Most people don't do that. Most people put it on somebody else. Well, it was this person. It's their fault. And it's this person. It's their fault. And uh, what was that? I said it was their dog. Oh, yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever the situation is, we have a tendency to want to blame other people. And I, I really thought that was, that's a strong statement because, you know, we've talked about it in here before how important it is to be responsible for our actions. Um, and that's always the first, that's the first thing to get to the bottom of any kind of problem, whether that's relationship, whether you're with your uh, with your children, or your spouse, uh, with other people, whatever it is, if you're trying to get to the bottom of it, it takes personal uh, responsibility for your actions in order to get to the bottom of it. So what that means is, in short, you have to admit that you're wrong at some point in time. If you're not inclined to that, that's something that you don't normally do, you might want to take a look at that. Because whoever you are, me, included we're all wrong ain't none of us in here right all the time and it really i think it just as good sometimes to even say it with our own lips like 
I am not right all of the time. <laughs> it's good. This is good to say that. The people of Ezekiel, they attempted to blame their ancestors for the sin that had brought them into exile. That's good. But God holds each person responsible for their own sins. And such personal responsibility comes from a caveat. As believers, we are held accountable to warn others of their sins and to influence the next generation to live for God. If we do not warn them, we do carry some responsibility for the ongoing sins of others. That is not a responsibility I wanted, but one that I have. You think about that for just a minute, because it's um, we're living in a society that, once again, it's going to shift the blame on everybody but them. And so we bring that same thing, we bring that into the context of Christianity, Western culture, Christianity, and the serving of, of our God. And so what we find is, is that according to this lesson and according to Scripture, and we're going to look at the Scripture here in a minute, that it is some part of my responsibility that other people continue to do some of the things they do. You think, no, that's impossible. That can't be. Well, the reason I say that, and I think this is a good lesson for this morning, is because our culture is so wired to be so self-inclusive that we're so, even in Christianity, it's like, let me give you an example. It's like we're so focused on our own salvation that we really don't think about anyone else's. And, and, and to give you an, uh, even take it further than that, it's almost like we say, well, I know I'm going to heaven. I don't know about you. I'm good. I'm going. You end up in hell, that's on you. There's a bit of truth to that, yes. But if we are dodging the responsibility of living correctly in front of people and then also following God's word and the, um, the things that, have been, that we've been called to do, which is to, conf to confess truth and to be honest with people, I think that's probably one of the hardest things to do is just to be completely frank with people. Can you agree with that? Have you... Have you ever been in a situation or a conversation? Let me just put it that way. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you just knew you needed to say something and it was actually had to do with their spiritual being, you needed to tell them that they were wrong? Hey, listen, I just want to tell you, brother, sister, you're wrong. And you knew you needed to say it, but because you didn't want to be rude and you didn't really want to, you, you didn't want to stir up any trouble, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to kind of tell them it's going to be okay, and we hope that they get their act together. See, there's a bit of responsibility on our part, and I do believe that it's going to take us crossing over that line and coming out of our comfort zones and not being rude. You don't have to be rude to do it. I mean, think about this. When did we get to the place that we think telling the truth is rude? I'm not saying that you come off arrogant. I'm not saying that you come off angry or mad or mean. That's, that's a bad way to do it. But you present the truth in love. You don't present the truth with anger. You don't present the truth with, ha ha, I got you. See, I told you you were wrong. I've been trying to tell you for years you was wrong. And there we go, we got you. Though that's tempting. But you've got to be, you've got to make a presentation and a fight for the truth. You have to do that. Because it's a bit of our responsibility that we do. Yeah, that's a great question because that see that brings up and we are we will and we'll get into that scripture here in just a minute there's going to be there's a bit of responsibility there that's on our part that i think is going to be brought out uh, especially uh, on that day of judgment when we stand before him uh, is it going to be how do i put this because everybody likes everything in black and white i'm going to try to take a way that i can put this is this a salvation issue i'm going to say no this is not going to necessarily cause you to go to hell per se, but I'm also going to say that I'm, I'm a little nervous about what's on the other side of 
the actual ramifications of not doing it. I, I don't, I don't want to know what that is. And, and I think we're naive if we think, well, who cares? I'm going to heaven anyway. That's the wrong frame of mind. I think that's a wrong way of thinking. And, and, if, and if we see God's word telling us about this responsibility, I don't want to stand before him and then him say, what about this person and this person and this person and this person and you had an opportunity to speak to all of them. Now, why didn't you do that? That's not a conversation I want to have. Because you're not going to stand before truth. You know, God's truth himself. You're not going to stand before truth and have any kind of a decent argument. We're going to be flat on our faces. And so I think that's a, that's a great, that's a great um, question to ask. And then also, I appreciate the input because that's going to kind of broaden this. Because I think we've all been in this situation at one time or another. Do I need to say something? You know what? I think I may not say anything right here. And then sometimes we just kind of abandon it. Okay. So the great reformer Martin Luther once said, you are not only responsible for what you say, but also for what you do not say. That's good. Uh, there is a time for silence and a time to speak. When others are in grave danger or when they are going down a hazardous path, we must not be silent. In the passages we will study in this lesson, God impressed on Ezekiel his responsibility to sound the alarm when people were courting spiritual disaster through their behavior. This admonition applies to us as well. What responsibility do we have to warn our wayward uh, friends, family, and neighbors? Okay. Let's read our scriptures, page 52. Haley, if you would. Yes. say this morning also as we, we get into our lesson on page 53 that we have a we have a, uh, a new member in our congregation this morning that's moved up uh, Haven uh, my daughter has graduated out of back and she's she's now too old to be in the kids group so the next step that you take is the adult class and so as a dad I'm very proud to have her in here this morning You wonder, you probably wonder, well, why did you point that out? What's well, my class? I want to pour my daughter out. <laughs> no, I'm very proud of her. I'm just a proud dad, guys. Just a proud dad. All right, section one, warning of impending doom. Seven days after his inaugural vision, God spoke to Ezekiel again. This time, the Lord likened Ezekiel's ministry to the work of a watchman. In the ancient world, it was the watchman's duty to stand upon the city wall. Now, pay attention, very close attention to that. Watchman. It was a watchman's duty to stand upon the city wall or in uh, another strategic location and watch for signs of approaching danger. If he detected danger, it was his job to raise the alarm so that the inhabitants could defend the city. If he failed to do so, he would be responsible for any loss of life and military disaster that followed. So his job was what? It was to sound the alarm. That was his job. Watch. <coughs> and sound the alarm, that's your job. And actually, I mean, if you really think about it, it's quite simple. His job was very simple. That's all you have to do. Just watch the horizon. If you see any enemy of, uh, any enemies approaching, 
you sound the alarm, and we'll we'll that'll that'll dispatch the people who are going to do the battle or do the actual defending. Your job is just to stay on the wall and call if you see anything coming. So let's talk about the watchman aspect of it. So we're we're usually pretty much okay with the role of a watchman for our immediate family. You use that, I think that's a good example because that's kind of just comes natural. Uh, if I see anything coming uh, against my family, I'm going to sound the alarm and I'm gonna take my five children and my wife and we're gonna go in another direction. It's pretty much programmed into us to do that. That's, that's the easy stuff, in my opinion, honestly. That's the easy stuff. If you're not doing that, then you don't even need to be talking about being watchmen because your first responsibility, the main responsibility, is you need to be a watchman for your family, okay? That's calling out, it's, listen church, if you're not gonna call out sin in your own family, then why are we gonna rely on you to call out sin for a church? Amen. That's hard, but that's a heavy statement. That bears a lot of weight. But why, why would it be that way? Why would we say, yeah, you know, go out, don't worry about being a watchman for your family, but we really need you to be a good watchman in church. It all starts with the family, it's fundamental. Amen. So it starts there, then it comes into the church, and then it's not just being a watchman for the, for the collective group of your seven, but now it's, it's, now it's broadened, and now it's about not just the blood family, but the spiritual family. And now that your job is to actually call out what you see wrong or the enemy approaching, and when I say wrong, I'm talking about sin. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about little bitty things that are not what I call non-essential things, things that are not worth a hill of beans to talk about and to argue about in a church setting. There are just some things that are just worthless to even get into. Um, uh, the Bible even uh, defines those things. And, and uh, the, we, I don't remember how it was defined exactly, but it's, it's that it's worthless talk. It's like you see churches that split. I don't know this because I've watched some of the history of churches splitting. And they don't, get, they don't split over sin. That's not the reason. They split because the right speaker wasn't on stage. They, get, they split because the right songs weren't sang. They split because uh, somebody uh, said, I want to vacuum the carpet, but someone else did it before they did. That's the kind of stuff that you see, and that's the kind of stuff that's worthless. It's like, my goodness, our job is to call out sin. So my job, my job as a watchman, okay? We're going to come back to this. My job as a watchman is to watch for the sin. But if I'm distracted by the vacuum... I can't properly watch for the sin. Does that make sense? If we're too worried about the little bitty things, about what's going on up here or the lighting, uh, y'all don't sing the right songs, if that is what's important, we're not worried about sin. We're not worried. We don't even care about sin. We're, we're worried about whether we feel just right or whether the atmosphere is good and it's too cold in here, it's too hot in here, or one of those things. Now, I do understand that everybody's different. So don't think I'm trying to offend you in saying that, yeah, we do our best to try to make sure that everything is perfect for the people that come in here. The place is clean. We've got people that come in here and clean. Uh, we've, uh, we, we try to make sure everything's tidy and make sure there's everything is perfect for the people that walk in these doors. But people, nobody's perfect. And that I'm, I'm, I'm saying that as a church, we've got to come to back to the role of a watchman. We're watching for the stuff on the horizon. We're really watching for the enemy. Do you realize that the enemy actually gets into church on those type of things? He comes in on the toilet paper, <laughs> so to speak. He comes in on the toilet paper, rolls right in, and uses those situations to cause us to divide. When the whole time the, the, the idea was we need to be watching for sin, we need to be paying attention, I assure you, once we become uh, complacent, about where we're sitting and we're more worried about you know the the blankets or some little thing like that if we're more worried about that guess what's not too far off sin it's coming because now we're not watching there's no watchman on the wall there's nobody's paying attention to it so i'm using that as an example but i think it works it's it's very true this is what we've seen um i kind of got a thing about watching as churches have split I just talked to somebody about it the other day. I said, I would love to sit down with pastors, pastors, numerous, numerable pastors, and I want to get their story 
I want to talk to the ones that have been through church splits. I want to talk to uh, the ones that have been through things and endured things. I want to know the stories. And I've talked to some of them over the years. I have never seen, up to this point, a church split over a seriously sin issue. It's usually ridiculous stuff. Eyes off of, the, of what really needs to be paid attention to. Um, let's see, where was that? Um, God told Ezekiel that uh, he uh, made Ezekiel a spiritual watchman for his people and that if he failed to warn them when danger was approaching, he would be held accountable for the lives that were lost. That's heavy. Conversely, it did not ra- uh, he did raise the alarm and the people did not listen. Then their deaths would be on their own hands. The responsibility of the watchman is to watch and warn. The responsibility of the people is to listen to the watchman and act accordingly. Every believer is called to warn those in their circle of influence of the dangers of sin. So watchmen got to know what something, right? Think about this. It said that the lesson says that it's the, the, uh, every believer is called to warn those in the circle of influence of the dangers of sin. So every one of you have a circle, right? You're, and if we're going to put ourselves in that category, and we should, no, you're, it's not, a watchman is not a position that's going to be given to you. It's already yours. But a watchman has to know what sin is in order to warn people about it. Does that make sense? You got to know what it is. I mean, it's kind of like selling a product. You can't properly sell a product unless you know what product you hold in your hand. It doesn't make sense. So a watchman can't properly warn somebody of sin if they themselves don't know what sin is. Never, never before has the church been dealing with something so awful as people not understanding what sin is anymore. They don't, they ain't having it. People, they, they ain't getting it. And we are, uh, I've talked to Pastor about this before, we're headed to a place of, um, it's not just lack of knowledge, it's the, it's the, um, it's not wanting to know what it is. It's, it's, it's people not, it's not that they don't know that there's sin out there, it's that they don't want to know anymore what that sin is. I don't want to hear it. That's what it is. I don't want to hear it. I don't hear what you have to say. Um, partly because they're taking part of that. And the worst part about it is this is actually taking place inside the church, which makes it that much harder for us to be effective when sin is inside the church. Okay. So um, how many of us encounter men and women who need the gospel but never warn them of their spiritual jeopardy? Yet as we see in Ezekiel, sinners are not the only ones who need a warning. Oh, that's good. The Lord exhorted Ezekiel that he must also warn the righteous who stray from the right path. If righteous people turn away from their righteous behavior and ignore the obstacle, uh, the obstacles I put in their way, they will die. Meaning that what is God going to do? What's God's part? God's saying, I'm going to put something in your way and I'm going to wake, try to, hey, wake up. You're asleep. You've got some issues that you need to take care of. You need to quit, you know, get this out or, or stop doing this. And he'll put things in your way to stop you. We've talked about this before in that we've said that not every situation that comes your way is some sort of demonic attack on your life to try to make it, uh, to try to tear you away from God. Sometimes you're in the wrong and God has allowed a situation to take place in your life to wake you up. It kind of caters though it kind of caters back to the original point that we're not always right but if you always think that you're right you'll never see the sign it's like well the devil's attacking me he's attacking me it's like no you got a secret sin over here and god is saying hey it's me i'm trying to wake you up stop doing that you're going to find yourself in a place that you don't like there's nothing to be worse can't be nothing worse than being confused about what's actually going on. No, I, I just can't see anything worse than that. Yeah, people don't like being told that they're they're sinning or be the sin pointed out because then the Holy Spirit has yeah. room to bring conviction in. Yes, and, and to help turn on their hearts and give them an uh, option and a chance to come back to the Lord and fix whatever it is. Absolutely, and it's so simple, you know, that we just recognize we recognize if it's uh, idolatry. Like you let something become more important than God. Something like that. Something, you know, God coming and saying, hey, you put some things before me. And I was thinking, I was really meditating on this this morning. I want to say this really before we go on because as life changes, as we get older, 
and things change in our life, as seasons change, it's, it is difficult to stay on top of it, but it is still essential that we do. Amen. I don't do the same stuff that I used to do. And so what I have found over the years is as I got older and my life changed and I moved from one season to the next and I seen these things happening, I had to adjust accordingly. And if I did not adjust, and I'm, I'm admitting guilt, at times I didn't adjust properly. At times I didn't adjust to figure out a new way to pray so I could keep my relationship hot with the Lord. I, I, I messed up and I laid some things down. I messed up on my prayers. I, they weren't as fervent because I had just come out of a season where I, I was used to the way that I did it and I liked it like that and I liked it like this and, and I just didn't want it to change. Well, when the season changed and forced me out of it, well, I was forced into a new way to pray. I was forced to come up with, to start praying at different times in different intervals and I didn't do that. So guess, guess who suffered? I did. And the Lord expects you and me to recognize as the season changes, it's your responsibility to figure out that new way to keep you and him close. He doesn't, he doesn't say, yeah, because you, know, because you repented three years ago and, and you prayed really hard through that you know, couple months there, that's going to carry you into this new season. No, it'll get you there and begin the season, but now it starts a new season. And what have we done with our new seasons? All right, I want you guys to look up a scripture real quick. Let's look up uh, uh, Matthew 12 and uh, 36. Yeah, go ahead. In the military, the first general rule is to never leave your post without properly being relieved. That's mm-hmm. the very first rule. That's heavy. And it's pretty simple when, you, you know, you're following the orders, mm-hmm. but you have to use the bathroom or if you... You know, you're sleepy and, you know, all the things that you, uh, and sometimes you're on, you're on guard watch when it's 3 a.m. Yep. But there's nobody else but you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Whether it's a fire, the fire guard or whether you're on a point. Mm-hmm. It's true. You, yeah. It's your uh, responsibility. Yeah. And it's, it's exactly the same thing. Yes. But it's the very first rule. Yep. Very good. Um, I'll give you an example too, and I thought this was kind of interesting. Um, the other night, the other night, and I'm just going to kind of blend in with what Stacey's saying. The other night we were, we smoked briskets like all night long. So Zale and I were up like all night. And I slept for, we were, we'd sleep in intervals. We had like a tent set up and everything. And so cool. we would, uh, I slept for like two hours and then I'd get up and he slept for a little while and he got up Anyway, we come, we're, at the, we're just at the, the end of the night. We're almost over. It's about 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning, and we're just about to get through it, and I'm just, I'm too old for that kind of stuff, okay? <laughs> I just, I can't pull no all-nighter, no way. It's just, it's just tearing me up. I said, listen, I'm going to lay down for an hour because Zayden's about to come out for his shift because he's coming out around 6. I said, I need one hour. Stay out here for one hour. Okay, no problem. So he goes, he, go, uh, he goes into the tent to just play around. He's got his little phone. He's playing around, just kind of keep himself awake. I go inside, all right? I, we're not together anymore. Within that one hour, he told me, he said, there was a shadow, like, right outside the tent. I'm telling you, somebody was there. And I said, I've got, he said, I was scared, but I knew I had to man up. And so <laughs> I opened the tent, and I jumped out real quick, and there's nobody there. And now I'm not saying whether it was evil or whether it was good. We don't know. We just know that Zale sees this kind of stuff sometimes and so I said it could have been it could have been a, a, an angel watching you it could have been something evil but nevertheless the moment I went in he starts seeing stuff yeah. it's the you, you get what I'm saying not that I'm anything special but I'm the parent I'm the guardian and and then he sees some watchman very important once the watchman lays down and goes to sleep yeah. shadows start coming in the room yeah. I just use that as an example Okay, so let's read Matthew 12 and 36. Actually, let's go to 35. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure uh, brings forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. That's good. That every idle word that you speak, you will be held accountable for. So, huh? So that's scary. That's, yes, it is. 
I think it should scare you, though. And I'm not talking that the disabling type of fear, because we understand. I'm, not, I'm talking about a reverential fear that you become really reverential and respect what the Lord has set up. And when he says, I'm going to judge your idle words, I'm like, I'm going to think twice about how I talk to people. I'm also going to think twice about what I'm not saying. What I'm not saying. I should say something. Um, we've put ourselves, I don't want to keep going on about this because I'm going to keep moving the lesson. We've put ourselves in a lot of classifications. We've put ourselves in a lot of classifications, and I think maybe due to our culture or whatever. But we've put ourselves in these boxes. So let me, uh, let me kind of expound on that. So we, if uh, maybe you're a predominantly quiet person, maybe you're not a type of person to speak to people on a continual basis. Totally understand that. I get that. You may look at, uh, you may be someone who is not necessarily um, unconfident to speak to people, but you might look at someone else and say, they're better than I am. Has anyone ever looked at someone else and said, they're better at that than I am? I do that, and so what happens is, is this transitional thing happens. It's like a transitory thing. We automatically assume that the person that's better at it than I do should be the one to do the job. You're a better speaker than I am, so you should be the one. I've literally had this happen before. Over the years, I've had people call me and say, I need you to talk, uh, I need you to talk to Sam for me. I mean, Sam is just a, a, not, a, it's not a real person. I need you to talk to Sam for me. Okay, what's going on? Sam wants to get saved. Would you come and talk to him like right now? Why don't you? Why do I have to do it? You, you with me? Now, some of you are probably thinking right now, well, you're, you're a preacher though. You're supposed to do it, right? That's the point. That's the point. Why do I have to do it? I'm saved just like you are. You're saved just like I am, right? But no, they go to the person that they think has got the highest speaking ability and they recruit them. You've been recruited. You come and save this person. Tanner, you do it better than we do. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying, is that God is going to call you. He's going to put you in a situation. It's not my situation. It's your situation. And you might trip and fall and fumble over every last word, but guess what? That's the way it's supposed to be. You can't, I mean, it's not like you can carry people, the people, yes, in my life, you think, well, you know, Tanner's confident, he gets up here. No, it's not, <laughs> it's not always been that way. And what has happened over the years is I've wanted to recruit people. You just come with me, and every time I run into somebody, you can do the talking. Think about how Moses was with Aaron. Do you remember? Moses didn't want to speak. He said, I can't do this. And he said, oh, yeah, you can do it. I will be with you. He's like, I can't talk. He needs to do it. Now, in his situation, he allowed it for a season. He did. He allowed that. But see, I can't do that. I can't call up pastor and say, you know, I'm up in a situation here. I'm talking to this guy, and he wants to get saved, and, and uh, I think you need to be one to do it. If that's what you have to do, then what does that say about where you're at? I'm just simply asking that question. Where does that say where, where we are at? I've prayed with people before and did not feel confident at all. I thought, man, this is all going to hell. That was an awful prayer. No. It's, 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 your, it's, it's where God has put you. And believe me, I feel just because I'm up here, just, it, it doesn't mean that I have all this confidence in the world. You think that I can just go do this. And it's like, Terry, you probably got a lot of people under your belt. And, no, it has nothing to do with me. I just know my circle. And I've been through this so many times that I understand when God puts you somebody in your path and he's like, you're responsible for that person. I realize that God has put that on me and that's not for you. And you might actually be better at it, but that's not your circle. This is my circle and that's your circle. Now, if you call me and you say, hey, this person needs prayer, would you agree with me? Sure, absolutely. But it's, it's, it's your office, it's your warehouse, it's your spot that God has got you, you gotta own it. You gotta own that thing. And God understands if you're not a great speaker. God understands if you don't have a lot of oratory skills. God understands that you might feel unconfident, but I assure you, it's yours. Be okay with that. No, it's never okay to call me. No, it's okay. <laughs> no. No, if you, yes, absolutely. You want some advice? Sure. I've been given advice for years. You come, you know you're supposed to talk to somebody, but you don't know exactly how to work it. Okay, so let me, let me, let me do it like this. 
So the first thing I'm going to ask you, and I've been asked that question before, so the first thing I'm going to ask you is, have you been praying about it? And that's usually the first thing that people do is they automatically take that situation and they're like, okay, I'm going to call this person. And the first thing I'm going to ask you is, have you prayed about what to say? And if you say, well, actually, no, that's, I'm going to say, they don't call me right now. You're not, a, you ain't made it past step one. Now I'm being honest. I'm being honest. L- listen, the first step is we need to pray about what we need to say. You might just get a word from the Lord and say, oh, I know exactly what I need to say. You're going to say it and that's for you. And that's, and it's going to work great. Did you guys know, did you, did you know that even though you might have somebody that's a better speaker, that bringing them in might actually mess the situation up? That the anointing is not on them, it's on you to do the job. See, we, ought, we, don't, we don't think that way. And so we automatically are like, I'm, I've got to bring someone else into the situation. Advice is good. Advice is good. But if I, if I say, have you prayed about it, and you tell me no, I'm going to say, we haven't even, we're not even made to step one yet. Now you need to pray. And let's see if the, the Lord gives you a word. Because I don't have a word for you. I don't even know who this person is. Church, is that, am I making sense this morning? Sure. This is some heavy stuff that we have to become more, more connected with and more associated with, especially as these times draw closer to the end. Uh, go ahead, please. When those situations arise and, and have risen, yeah. and I, I, <clears throat> you got someone's eternal life in your hands. Big deal. And maybe I'm not thinking I'm going to do it right, so I'm going to call you or John, <laughs> because that, that's, that's to me, of most importance. Sure. And yeah, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Something like that, or uh, not bringing it to them the way they need to hear it, it would hurt, it would, it would hurt your heart. Sure. No, I understand what, and I understand what Stacy's saying. So let me answer it uh, like this. So how many of you, uh, you've had kids and um, one of the grandest accomplishments for your children is to watch them walk? With me? Love to watch them walk. But we don't like to watch them fall because it's kind of painful. You know, it's like pop, pop, pop. You know, you hit, I watch my kids hit their heads on things. I'm like, oh, oh that, was, that was bad. I'm sorry about that, buddy. And we have to let them walk, but we're kind of like right there. You know, you're watching them. You're right there with them. You with me? Yeah. So as we're watching them, they are going to fall. It's inevitable. And I'm going to kind of attach it to what Stacy said, and I understand what you're saying. But let's, let's bring this back to the center. It's you'll call for advice. What do I need to say? I'm going to tell Stacy, hey, this is kind of how you need to say this. This is kind of, I'm going to put some things in his corner. But this is still his circle. If Stacy, let's let's do it like this. If Stacy comes across twenty people in sixty days, I do not want to get twenty phone calls. <laughs> okay? It's it's different if Stacy ministers to one person, he calls me, and it's like a year later. Okay, that's different. We have to learn from falling. Are you gonna mess that up maybe a little bit? Yeah, but he already knew that. He already knew that Stacy was gonna trip. He knew that. Now, I'm here to help him. I'm here to help you. Absolutely. But do you understand what I'm trying to emphasize here is that we cannot rely on the next person up all the time to pull off what has been commissioned to us to pull off. I had to learn this the hard way. Pastor, do you have something you want to say on that? Uh, And then, Stan. We all need to learn how to protect our witness. Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. That's Uh, it. I think that's maybe kind of what's in the atmosphere here, not that we're putting something off on someone else because we don't want to do it. <coughs> but when the blood's running and the life's leaving, you don't have time to call somebody. That's right, yeah. You need to have what you need right there. Mm-hmm. And it might be very simple. It's not complicated. Yeah. Uh, now, there are issues in extremes. Of course, there's other things attached where there does need to be counsel. Uh, sure, yeah, that's, I, yeah, that's a different you know, story. Well, we all need to get that witness, however we're going to do it. Absolutely. You know, we can help people in at least... If, if you release yourself and let God have control of your mouth, mm. He's going to give you the words to say. It's going to be, you're going to say some stuff that needs to be said. I think that's a good point. I want to also say, too, uh, when I was a young, young Christian, share this story with you real quick. I was a young Christian, and I was talking to a gentleman uh, while we were working on trailers, 
back, uh, it's back probably back in the 90s, late 90s. And uh, I remember the words exactly that I said, because I didn't know what to say. I don't know what I was said. I said, you know, you never know what could happen to you when you leave this place. You could die. You could get into a car wreck. That was exactly what I said. The next day, he didn't come in until noon. We worked in the same area together. He walked in and he said, I had a car wreck yesterday. I said, are you kidding me? He said, and the first thing I thought of was what you said to me, Amen. that I could have a car wreck. And here in my insignificance, I got no idea what I'm saying. God used my little bitty phrase and pulled that conviction out of him and showed him, yep, you could have a car wreck and your life could be over. Significant moment in this gentleman's life. Did I do anything special? No. No, I've actually, I've, after it was over, I'm like, well, I fumbled that conversation up real good. <laughs> but that's exactly how it's supposed to feel. God will take the moment, and he'll do something great with it. So I hope that we understand each other here. This is, I think this is good. After charging Ezekiel to faithfully carry out his role as watchman, the Lord gave him his first assignment. Go to your house and shut yourself in. This is really interesting. What follows is a description of a circumstance that is unusual for a prophet. God would make Ezekiel mute and unable to speak in, uh, to the people to whom he had been sent. Nevertheless, God assured him, when the time was right, I will loosen your tongue and let you speak. So he wasn't able to speak. This was a powerful message. Ezekiel was not to speak extemporaneously. Do you know what extemporaneously means? <laughs> elaborate haven spent quite a bit of time speaking extemporaneously <laughs> in that field and um haven what's the setup for an extemporaneous speech compared to like a speech that's planned you with an extemporaneous speech it's like you don't know what you're going to say so you actually get up there there's not any planning at all right like if there's any planning it's like just a couple minutes um, a, a planned speech, you work on it for a long time. Right. And so you see here, it says Ezekiel was not to speak extemporaneously, meaning you're not to speak on your own here. You're going to speak the words that I want you to speak. And so he was very particular about how this, this worked. He said, from his own heart or his own discretion, he was to wait for a word from God. That way, whenever Ezekiel spoke, he could speak with the authority that accompanied God's word. Okay. Let's go to section two. Sorry, I'm running out of time. We're going to get here, though. Ezekiel challenged an idea that was popular among the Judean exiles, that they were suffering for the sins of their ancestors and not their own. This idea was summarized in a pithy proverb that said, The parents have eaten sour grapes, but their children's mouths pucker at the taste. The Torah itself stated that God lays the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children of the third and fourth generations. Okay, that's true. Okay, that is true. But what was being said here is that they were blaming their ancestors for the sin problem, not themselves. That was where the problem really was. They weren't really accepting responsibility for their actions. So it said, indeed, the exile was the culmination of generations of rebellion and sinful choices. Okay. In the book of 2 Kings, the Lord responded to the sins of the wicked king Manasseh with an ominous threat. I will bring such disaster on Jerusalem and Judah that the ears of those who hear uh, about it will tingle with horror. Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, was perhaps the godliest of Judah's kings and brought about a re uh, renewal of Judah's spiritual life, but this would not change God's mind about the punishment he had sworn to sin. Although the exile was a uh, corporate judgment brought on by the sins of multiple generations, the current generation was not innocent. Nor were they suffering for the sins of others and, and not their own. All right. So um, in my own, my own personal life, I give this from my own experience. Um, I have, I have, um, how do I say this? This is a long-winded thing, so I don't really want to go into a lot of detail. I have experienced breaking off spiritual strongholds that were laid upon me from my ancestors. Yes, I have. And I'm not going to talk about that, but it, it, it happened. And I was delivered from the things that, of the choices that my ancestors had made. And those things were laid off on me. And then I was struggling and falling to the same stuff that they were engulfed in. So what happened was, is that had to be broken. And so it takes the recognition of what sin is. And you recognize that you're like, okay, that's not right. Even though grandma and grandpa said it was okay. And daddy and mama said it was okay. I found out today that that's not okay. Come on. 
that means that you're now you could be dealing with a spiritual stronghold, which means you have to break that stronghold in order for there to be a success there. In this particular situation, it was more about the, the, the lack of recognition on their part. It's like, okay, yes, my parents made some bad decisions. My ancestors made some bad decisions. But at the end of the day, it is my decision to choose whether I'm going to serve the Lord or not. It's not up to anyone else. It's up to me. And if I want to serve the Lord, I'm going to serve him. And if I want to stop sinning, I can stop sinning. And there's nothing the ancestors can do anything about that. And so um, it takes the recognition of those things. You'd be surprised, church, you'd be surprised at how that plays into a person's life of being able to look back and recognize uh, what has been handed down to them. And the things that you are dealing with right now, many of those things are things that have been handed down to you and they simply have not been broken off yet. They're spiritual and they have to be broken. That's the only way it works. Okay. So uh, previous generations had sinned and angered the Lord, but this generation had added their own sins to those that had gone before. Even amid corporate punishment, God would uh, give life to any individual who rejected idolatry, sexual immorality, social injustice, and violence. Each person was invited to choose to observe his commandments and follow him faithfully. All right, so your choice, right? Okay, so the next, section, uh, next paragraph. In Ezekiel 18, 10 through 18, God reminded his people through Ezekiel that every individual in every generation makes a personal decision about serving or rebelling against God. Having righteous parents does not guarantee righteousness for the next generation. Everybody say amen. amen. No guarantee. No guarantee. Nor does having unrighteous parents mean one is doomed to live apart from God. Everyone say amen. amen. It's true. Each person makes his or her own decision about accepting the salvation and life offered through Jesus Christ. We are all affected by the choices made by others, whether in our families or in a society at large. But this does not leave us hopeless. Nor does it mean that God cannot bless us in spite of our ancestry or circumstances. Salvation is always possible for those who respond in faith and obedience to the offer of life God extends through the gospel. The simple responsibility is, is that you need to recognize what belongs to who. And what I mean by that is, is you recognize when things are affecting your life uh, spiritually, that you're being attacked or there are things that are taking place that you're not asking for. And I call that I call that spiritual oppression. Now, there's some been some stuff in the family here that keeps attacking me, and I remember um, this could be uh, addictions, okay, addictions that have been handed down. And uh, interestingly enough, the uh, you go back down to Grandpa, and Grandpa had a taste for it. Daddy had a taste for it. Son has a taste for it. You with me? You know what I mean by that. Got a taste for it. Just really like the taste of that stuff. Somebody has to recognize it as sin and say, stops here with me. Stops here with me. I'm not going to go any farther right here. It dies with me. I'm not going to give this to my children. I'm not going to do it. And so then it stops. So if you call it out, it's all right, it stops here. Well, then what you do is you turn and then you tell your children, this is wrong. And what that does is that automatically begins to plant the seeds to have that broken. It doesn't have to be some sort of elaborate church setting where people are laying on the carpet. That's not what I mean. You can break strongholds by simply teaching people the right way to go. You can break them. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be a major, major thing. And I think that's what Christianity and Pentecostalism thinks today. Does that happen sometimes? Well, sure. But it doesn't have to look like that all of the time. Good word, good solid, good solid teaching from God's word and teaching the truth breaks strongholds. Amen. It'll break them. And then, then your children will then tell their children the difference between right and wrong. That's powerful stuff, church. Yeah. Doesn't matter what it is. Okay, let's move to section three. I got just a little bit of time. I want to I want to talk about uh, how just the Lord is here. God punishes sin, but he does not punish uh, anyone for another's wrongdoing. He declares the person who sins is the one who will die. The child will not be punished for the parent's sins, and the parent uh, will not be punished for the child's sins. When we stand before God on Judgment Day, we will receive what we justly deserve for the deeds done in our lives. We will not be spared because we came from a Christian family or nation, and we will not be condemned because of a wrong done by anyone else. That's powerful stuff. For some of you, that might be relieving. For, for some of you, that might be scary. 
Do you think I was kind of leaning on what they were doing? You know, I was kind of hoping that might carry me through. It's not going to carry you through. It's just between you and him. It's between you and God alone. Ezekiel continued his explanation of God's justice by declaring that one's past actions would not absolutely dictate a person's future. God would evaluate his people on the basis of the choices they made going forward. Sinners should not give in to despair, no matter what they've done in the past, if they will turn to God with a sincere heart. He will graciously receive them and give them a clean slate. We know that is, is uh, amen material because he's giving you a clean slate. Every one of us have got a clean slate this morning. We have the opportunity to, uh, um, to ask for forgiveness and receive it. See, Paul put it this way. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Like the father in the parable of the prodigal son, God rejoices when his uh, lost children return home. Conversely, those who are righteous should be careful not to become complacent or trust that their past righteousness will shield them from divine punishment when they choose the path of sin. Okay, so we have, uh, we have a, a really a, a topic this morning that we've talked about in here, you know, about um, uh, in the past about choices and choices made and about judgment. And every one of us have the, uh, the choice to, to choose whether to serve the Lord or not. And there's nothing that's going to change that. I mean, your family, you might have come from a family background that's not good. You may, uh, there may be some things that, that you deal with that are maybe indirect that because they did it, now it's been passed on to you, and that bothers you. But understand that the choice is still yours. And choice is a very, very powerful thing Amen. that you get to choose how this thing actually plays out. And that to think that it's such a strong thing, that choice is such a strong thing, that strongholds can be broken by making right choices. You realize that? Strongholds can be broken. And I'm talking about choices that line up with God's word. When you're literally trying to line up with God's word and you said, I wanna follow you. Is it good to have hands laid on you and be anointed with oil? Yes, it is. But that's not the only way to break strongholds. Sometimes the way to break a stronghold is just to stop doing what your family did and start doing what God says. That alone can break a stronghold. We're out of time, guys. God bless you guys. Thank you.